0: Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. Hello Ivy Church. Hello Ivy Church. Welcome to Ivy Church. Jambo jambo. Kariboni kalisani Ivy Church. Good to see you. Welcome to Ivy Church. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. Welcome once again to Ivy Church as we carry on in our year of blessing. We're working out what it means that our God, who the Bible calls the blessed God, is also a God who loves to bless. We've seen right from the beginning in the book of Genesis how when he created everything, he he declared it would exist and then he saw it and then he blessed it and he said it's all good. And then he made people, male and female, and he saw them and he blessed them. And he said, very good. Now, that was the cosmic view in Genesis 1 and the start of Genesis 2. We looked at that last week. And now the camera angle shifts and we get down to ground level on planet Earth and see how it looks from a human level as the story moves on. So why not open your Bible right at the beginning at Genesis chapter 2? Verse four says, this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now, no shrub had yet appeared on the earth and no plant had yet sprung up for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth and there was no one to work the ground. Not yet anyway, but God has a plan and work for humans was part of that plan. Remember, it's not a curse to work, it's a blessing to work. Verse 6, but springs were coming up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. It's like, like he installed natural irrig- irrigation and the word here is linked to mist. Some have said that this setup is forming like a different kind of biosphere with perhaps double atmospheric pressure, like a hyperbaric chamber because the world was different before what we call the fall happened. And when we get to read about Noah later on, we're going to see it says these springs open up and that's how the flood occurs. Verse 7, then then he got it already, paradise. He's got the perfect boss, the perfect environment, the perfect work, if you like gardening. And then there's this bit that women may have the most trouble believing ever existed, the perfect man. The Lord God formed a man from the dust of the earth and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. Before that, it was just an empty shell, like a deflated balloon until God's spirit, his ruach, his, his breath, same word in Hebrew, put life in him and the word life is the same as soul. Humans are different from the whole of creation because we're made in his image and we have souls and we're made to contain his spirit. Humans really are different. Verse eight, now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden and there he put the man that he formed and the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground Trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. By the way, according to Rabbi Daniel Lapin, that verse is one big reason the Jewish people are generally better with money than others. They see gold is good. It's part of the blessed creation. Money and finances to the Jewish people are inherently good. They're not bad. Now, of course you can use anything in creation for good or evil purposes, as we'll see soon as the story continues. Down to verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. You see there, there's an original good purpose for humanity, to do good with the good creation. And the Lord God commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. What's he saying? You can do anything, everything, eat anything except this one thing, just this one thing. That's not good for you. By the way, this is not an unreasonable God. He's like a good parent. He's warning them about consequences. Like we tell the kids, don't play in the road. Don't drink out of the bottles under the sink. God didn't create robots. He wants children who choose to obey him, not automatons who have to. And then verse 18, the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. By the way, the word there for helper, Asa, is literally rescuer. I write a lot about that in my book, The Best Marriage. God uses the word of himself sometimes when he comes to the rescue. Women are not made originally intended to be man's little helper. He needs her. We see that nothing else in all of this glorious creation comes close to humanity, nor can it do what being in relationship, in community with one another, men and women can do to fill our hearts. Verse 19, now the Lord God had formed out of the land, all of the animals and all the birds in the sky and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them and whatever the man called each living creature that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky and all the wild animals. What's he doing? He's speaking out what something is, what he sees and it is what he says. That's a godlike thing to do. God has delegated his power, spiritual power to humans to care for his community and his creation, he's given us incredible authority and responsibility and accountability over how we do that. But for Adam it says, no suitable helper was found. Even when he calls Fido or Kitty, we need people. So the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. I love the old commentary by Matthew Henry where it says, She was not made out of his head to surpass him, nor from his feet to be trampled on by him, but from his side to be equal to him, and from near his heart to be dear to him. Verse 22, read along with me. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he'd taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And notice, he's going to name her too. But the way he does that is the very first love song. It's actually a song in Hebrew. He's so happy. I'm not going to sing it, but the man said... This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. Now in Hebrew, the closest word would be maness, like lion and lioness. That's what woman means. For she was taken out of a man. That's why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his flesh and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. That's it. Brilliant. Everything's perfect, complete, blessed. Naked and unashamed, no pressure, no pride, no porn. Perfectly secure in their identity that they are male and female. Man and wife. God's children, individually and gloriously different, but because they were made out of one and become one together, they're loved just the same, individually and together. They love God and they love one another. And they look after this world that he gave them as a colony of heaven to rule and reign as king and queen over, the, over it, the way that he would want it to be, to decree, to work, to extend his kingdom and his, and his garden and spread it out over the whole earth. A friend I met through teaching at Westminster Theological Centre, Bob Eckblad, works in prisons and with death row inmates. And in his brilliant book, Reading the Bible with the Damned, he says he always starts talking to the poor and prisoners and refugees by talking to them about the start of Genesis. Because everybody's trying to figure out their identity, aren't they? Without knowing your original identity, you won't know your value to God and you won't realise what's gone wrong, what's got broken and why sin matters. I think he's right. And he told me that for many people, not just gang leaders and migrant workers and drug dealers like he works with, but for many people these days, more and more, the word God has already been defined by core experiences. Perhaps it was an absent or abusive human father or authority figure who hurt or rejected or punished them. Somebody who was either impossible to please or controlling or or could have been permissive and negligent. And these negative images of God as somebody who's just out to get you, and underlined in life. When they assume then that calamities or injustice or sicknesses or other forms of just brokenness and oppression is just God punishing you. So they certainly don't see God as a kind, good God, as a blesser. So he starts with Genesis one and two and he helps them see the real God, the kind of God he really is. And that he's not just powerful, but he's always good and he always does good and he loves and blesses his children and he says only once they understand that does he talk about sin and what went wrong and the curse that happened as a result of sins and its effects that spoil and corrupt everything and what God has done in Jesus to put it all right again so we turn the page and we see the reason for what's gone wrong in the world is not that God's promises are not true or that he's impotent and powerless or has done a bad job of it no But there is an enemy, an enemy who lies and humanity fell for it. God created order and light out of darkness and disorder and a place where life can flourish and be blessed. But there is a creature there too that comes into the garden, an evil spiritual being literally called the Satan, whose story we're not yet filled in on but he comes all the way through scripture, sometimes plainly and sometimes secretly or in a hidden way because he's crafty, it says here, and the Satan is the enemy of God. He'd already rebelled against him in heavenly places and now he wants to completely spoil and ruin everything God has made that is good on the earth, where he was cast down to. Genesis chapter three shows us, he comes alongside Adam and Eve while they're working and he tempts them to join him in disobeying God. Obviously he's not that obvious. The word for snake is the word seraphim in Hebrew, and piecing together what we learn from Isaiah and Ezekiel, we see that this is not just a snake, which we see at the zoo or whatever, that I would think would be bad enough. It's a mighty spiritual being who once enjoyed the presence of God and worshipped him in the throne room of heaven. But now through his own pride, he lost that place. First John chapter 3, verse 8 says, He has been sinning from the beginning. Now he wants to spoil this place with sin. But he can't do anything without the cooperation, actually without the permission of Adam and Eve. Because they have been given authority over the earth from God. Everything in it, what they say, goes. So he comes alongside them, the father of lies, and he seduces them into sin. He appeals to their pride. He causes them by his words to doubt God's word. And through that, his character. He tells them, You don't need God. You don't don't need God to tell you what to do or who you are. Figure it out yourself. Open your eyes. You can figure life out by yourselves. Look at you, you're perfect. The son and daughter of God. You can be whatever you wanna be. You can be independent of him. You can be like God. And so the first sin, I've hated it ever since, is DIY. They do it themselves. They give their worship and focus and desires to created things rather than the creator. They choose life without God, and he has to give them what they chose because he will never ever force love. You can't force love. That's a terrible thing to do. It's not love at all. Their DIY makes them end up having to turn over a new leaf because they make their own coverings to try to hide their nakedness from one another as if it's a bad and shameful thing. Although God, their father had no problem with it. And in that perfect environment, they didn't need a coat, they didn't need shoes anyway. And then, as you read on down through the chapter, you see God comes looking to meet with Adam and Eve, like they used to be close and walk together, but now Adam is hiding away. He can't stand the proximity to God's holiness. And God already knows what's gone on, of course, and we can't hide anything from him, but he always comes. Looking, He comes looking for us. Jesus said he'd come to seek and save the lost because that's what God does. Trying to cover their shame and hide from him. Hiding away from that intimacy that they once had. And now that's broken with one another too because for the first time humans feel ashamed. They feel dirty. And then, and then God speaks and Adam blames Eve rather than confess and come clean. He even blames God for making her in the first place. And the woman, the woman says, don't blame me, it looked good, I thought it was good, I thought I was doing good, the snake tricked me and the word there involves flattery. So God then declares what's happened. He tells them now because, because of their disobedience, there is a curse and not a blessing that's come onto the earth, into the earth. Blessings are powerful, supernatural spoken words that affect situations and people and families generations and nations. We're gonna look at a lot of that this year. Curses, similarly, are supernatural words which bring the opposite of blessings. Calamity and confusion, sicknesses and struggles in relationships, deaths, debts and disaster. I'm gonna talk about that too as we move through this year of blessing and you can't afford to miss that because there's no point knowing about blessings and being ignorant of curses and how they are caused. By the way, I'll just clue you in on that. It's always through disobedience to God or his word. And why curses must be broken and how they can be in Jesus' name because he redeemed us from the curse on the cross where he became a curse for us. So if we will recognise the curse, repent of and renounce the sin that caused it and resist the devil so that he flees from it, we can move from curse to blessing. That's going to be a big thing we're going to look at this year. So... Now back to Genesis, where God curses the Satan. But when he speaks to his children, he's not saying to them, I'm cursing you. He's just saying, through your disobedience, you've opened up, you've brought a curse on the world around you that I gave you. And he's not, he's not going to take it back, but it's broken. But now he says, this is what life on earth is going to be like for humanity, because you chose death over life. There are consequences that will affect you. And not only you, but the whole world around you, and all the descendants that come after you. Chapter 3 and verse 14 says this. Because you have done this, because, there are, because. There, are, there are consequences for the devil, for the man, for the woman and for the earth itself. The Satan, the serpent, God says, you'll always be the enemy of the humans, but one day a human is going to come and through him, even though you hurt the human your destruction will come, he will crush your head. Under the blessings of God, everything was flourishing and multiplying easily and everywhere as men and women worked together and lived cooperatively together as different equals. But now the woman will find the man dominating her in the world, making her subservient. And she's told that childbearing and childbirth, while still wonderful and miraculous, would now come mixed with pain and danger and disappointment. Because as he warned them in advance, death had now entered. And would be the last enemy to be destroyed and then looks at the man the adam who here then later on he says gave his wife the name eve she'd been the lioness before but now he just called her mother adam is told he will find that the world he was supposed to enjoy working with her was now dark and the resources he was supposed to steward in the planet would be fewer and cursed not blessed And while blessings, what blessings do is they make everything better and easier, curses just make everything harder and tougher. It's a grind now. Work is good, but now there is painful toil and trouble. Thorns and thistles, it says, until you die and go back into this cursed earth. And that's how it's gonna be for those who come after you. Okay, so we see here, as we're opening up this study, that some huge philosophical issues are being worked out that people wrestle with ever since like what are we really here for and what's life about and why do bad things happen and and why do bad things happen to good people and are there really any good people because this is telling us something's broken and there are no perfect human beings anymore we're all corrupted and there's nothing in this earth that can save us or help us now But the story, like all the great stories that resonates with our hearts because they echo this true story, the only one that makes sense of all our stories, had a good beginning. But then an enemy comes in to spoil it and there are consequences. You see this in every movie, every novel that you love, don't you? Because Hollywood knows this. This is the main plot because it innately makes sense somehow to us. That there needs to be a hero who comes and with him, goodness comes back in. And though the enemy attacks him and he has to lay down his life and seems to be defeated, but that's how the enemy is actually defeated. As the hero rises again and conquers and the victory is won and the captives are set free and the wrongs are righted and they all live happily ever after because the curse is gone and the blessings have all come back again. It's an epic story. And God wants you and me to find our place in that story, to reject the enemy and his plans, to come from curse to blessings as we join his son in the adventure of reversing the curse, praying and partnering together to see the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. The adventure of discovering our true identity as sons and as daughters of the good, the kind, the blessed God, our father in heaven and then using the power he gives us to work for him and work and see miracles in his name.